As we gather together, it's important to remember our purpose. So will you say our purpose with me? It's to make disciples together. That's why we gather together, because we, it, takes, uh, it takes a team of people to make disciples. So before we open up God's word, let's spend some time in prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, wow, we're so thankful that we're not only, we're not only saved, but we're adopted. And, and, and so we're brothers and sisters. We're your children. And good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. We pray that your kingdom would come, King Jesus, that we would see you and want to follow you this week, that we would be so amazed at you, King Jesus, that we would spread the gospel of the kingdom throughout our community and world. And King Jesus, we look forward to that day you come back and your kingdom is here in all of its fullness, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, we're not here to twist you to do our will, but we do pray your spirit would twist our hearts and change our hearts that we would delight to do your will and that others might see you, see us doing your will and want to join us. We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are a needy people and so we pray that you would give us this day our daily bread. Lord, you know our financial needs as, as individuals and, and as a church meet our financial needs and our physical needs. Oh, in, in our relational needs, we pray that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, we pause and confess to you our sins. And Lord, as you've forgiven us so much, help us to forgive those now who've wronged us. And Lord, we pray that you would not lead us into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil within us, our flesh, of thinking that we're wiser than you. Deliver us from the flesh and deliver us from the world always trying to squeeze us into its mold. And Lord, deliver us from the evil one, the tempter and accuser and the deceiver. As we open up your word today, we pray you would teach us and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, lately, when I've been running in Treaty Park, that's probably too nice of a term, but I've been stumbling through Treaty Park, there's this young lady, and when she comes toward me, I scare her to death. Um, now, I know, looking at me scares most people, okay, because you're old and ugly, but that's not it. When she sees me coming, she moves as far away from me as she possibly can, and she puts a mask over her face because she's terrified that I'm going to kill her. And what I long for is to give her Jesus. I don't want to kill her, but I'd love to give her Jesus and say, oh, oh, that you would believe in Jesus. Oh, that you would believe in Jesus so that you would know that you're going to live forever. What we're going to learn about today is when people believe in Jesus and they're prepared to die, that prepared people live well and die well. That once we prepare to die, it changes our lives. It changes the way we live and it changes the way we die. And so listen for you. 
listen, I, I plead with you, maybe you've prepared for many, many things, but you've never prepared to die. So what I want you to do today is I want you to believe in Jesus. I want you to prepare to die because when you're prepared to die, prepared people live well. When we're prepared, it should change the way we live. And prepared people die well. When we're prepared to die, we should die well. You say, well, smile, this sounds like a real opera. It really is. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 23. Genesis 23, this year we've been walking through the book of Genesis together. And today's message is called Putting Your House in Order. Because we're going to read a chapter about two people we've been getting to know, Abraham and Sarah. And we're going to see how Abraham put his house in order when Sarah died. We spent many weeks getting to know Abraham and Sarah. They had waited for a long time to have a child, Isaac. And now there's a whole chapter, there's a whole chapter in the Bible about Sarah's death and burial. The whole chapter is about her death and burial. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, the first thing I want you to know is we know Sarah's age. Do you know that Sarah is the only woman in the Bible? I believe she's the only woman in the Bible that we're told how old she was when she died. She was 127. My mom always told me, don't ask ladies how old they are, right? But listen, so she was 127 and she died. Notice it says Abraham died, verse 2. We live in a death-denying culture. We do. We we live in a death-denying culture that people today don't believe they're going to die. They believe that one day science is going to come up with a cure for death and we're not going to die. Matter of fact, in everyday life, no one uses the word death. Have you noticed that? My aunt, what? She passed away, right? My uncle, what? He, he what? He passed away. Do you notice that in everyday life, nobody uses the word death? Have you noticed that? But have you also noticed that when the media wants to scare people to death, they use what word? They died, right? Don't you read that every day? How many people died? Isn't it interesting that when people want to think about never dying, they talk about passing away. But when we want to scare people, we want to use the word death. And so I've got some good news for you and some bad news for you. And the good news for you is you're not likely to die from the coronavirus. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. <laughs> You're going to die. You're going to die. Maybe nobody's ever told you that. But listen, none of us is getting out of this alive. That's why it's so important we prepare. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, listen to this. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. That unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die. After that comes judgment, either eternal life or eternal punishment, either heaven or hell. And I want you to understand all of us will die in one of two ways. No, it's not what you think. See, people today think you die young or you die old. No, no. We will die prepared or unprepared. Everyone who dies, dies prepared or unprepared. And don't you wonder when you hear how many people die every day from the coronavirus, don't you wonder how many were prepared? How many took time to prepare? And I want you to understand the death of anyone is sad, but the death of the unprepared is tragic because people are eternal. 
And when we die, it's either eternal life or eternal punishment. That's why it's so important that we believe in Jesus and are prepared because prepared people live well and they die well. Now let's go back to, so first we saw how old Sarah was, then we noticed she died. Now, how should we respond when someone we love dies? How should we respond? Notice what it says about Abraham. Abraham went in to mourn for her and to weep for her. When, when Abraham's wife died, he wept and he mourned. Do you realize they were married probably for over 100 years? And he wept and he mourned. That's so important. It's so important because so many people today tell me, listen, when you do my funeral, I don't want any weeping there. I want it to be a celebration of life. And so I would encourage you, if you want a celebration of life, have a celebration of life when you're alive. But when you die, we should weep and mourn because you died. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Whenever I do a funeral, I love to set the temperature in the room because some rooms are too mournful and some rooms are too happy. So I like to set it just right. Uh, Jesus promised he was coming back and, uh, the, and Christians believed he was going to come back before Christians died. So when Christians began to die, they were worried that their loved ones who had died were going to miss out on that big day when Jesus came back. So Paul teaches people a Christian view of death and dying. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, he writes to them, But we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep, that is, our bodies are asleep, not our soul, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. When a Christian dies, we grieve because death is not the way it was meant to be. And husbands and wives and parents or children, they're separated from one another. We grieve because death is a terrible thing, but we grieve with hope because we believe that those who believe in Jesus have gone to be with him to live forever, okay? So today we're just taking a little bit of time. To, we're thinking through death and dying, and what I want you to know is that prepared people live well, and they die well. <clears throat> Back to Genesis 23, verse 3. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site so that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you, his grave, for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the Lord, the sons of Hath, and he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of the field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephraim was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of the city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. 
And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field, accept it for me, that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Ephron weighed out and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its borders were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, which facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Um, so Abraham was very rich. He had lived in the promised land for, for over 50 years, but he didn't own any land. So the first piece of land that he owned in the promised land was a cave to bury his wife. Burying Sarah in the promised land is, is an act of faith for Abraham because he, because he was saying, I believe that God is going to give my descendants this land just as he promised. Um, now, there were some words. I don't know if you heard me say them over and over again in there, but, and I'm not really good at math, but this is how I counted I counted in this chapter the word die or died happens nine times. I saw the word bury or buried or burial 11 times. And then I saw the word grave two times. Uh, sometimes people ask me, you know, uh, should I be buried or cremated? And, and so I, I, I want you to know the Bible doesn't ever say thou must be buried or thou must not be cremated. But it is interesting if you'll read the Bible, the consistent practice of believers in the Bible from beginning to end is always they were buried, right? Um, something else that's interesting, if you read Deuteronomy 24, Moses died, and uh, you know what God did? God buried Moses. Read it. It's really interesting that when Moses died, God buried him. If that God did that, it seems like that might be a good thing for us to do, right? He didn't, he didn't cremate him, did him? And, and, and the main reason that I want to be buried is because I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I will follow him in life, and shouldn't I follow him in death? And what does the Bible say happened to Jesus after he died? He what? What? He was, he, he was what? He was buried, wasn't he? Matter of fact, what's really interesting, the Bible says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins and that he was, what? Buried. And then he rose on the third day from the grave. And isn't that interesting? We would speak of his death being important. We would say his resurrection would be important. But would we say what he said, that, that his burial was important? Okay, enough of that. You might ask the question, well, well, well Smiley, why did Sarah die? Why do people die? Uh, I mean, if God is love, why do people die? So I want you to understand what the Bible teaches about death and dying. 
I want you to have a biblical view of death and dying, first to comfort you, but secondly, so that you can share your faith with others, so that you can ask the, answer the questions that people might bring to you. So to understand death and dying from the Bible, we need to remember the Bible is one story. I've told you this many times, but that's okay. We need review. And the one story of the Bible is the gospel, okay? It's the gospel. And the one story, the good news of Jesus has four chapters. And the first chapter is creation. And we believe that in the beginning, God created everything out of nothing. And it was good. And there was no death. Matter of fact, paradise was on earth. And God walked with man on earth in paradise. And isn't that what we long for, that paradise would be on earth and there would be no death? That's how it was in the beginning. So then you say, well, what happened? Well, chapter 2 is called the fall. In chapter 1, it was all yeses, but one no. Did you know that? When God created man, it was all yeses, there was one no. And the one no was, you can eat from any tree, but if you eat from this one, you will surely die. So guess what our first parents did? just like we would do, right? And they chose the one no. And when they sinned against God, death entered into the world. And in the Bible, there's three kinds of death. There's spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. The moment they ate, they died spiritually. They had walked with God. Now they were afraid of God, and they hid from God. And we were all born spiritually dead, unable to save ourselves. They began to die physically. It was just a matter of time before their bodies wore out and they died physically, which is the separation of our body and spirit from one another forever. And then thirdly, they faced eternal death, which is the most frightening death. And eternal death is the separation of our body and spirit from God and from all good things, and that's what hell is. So people say, well, well, why doesn't God do something? Well, he has. That's chapter 3. Chapter 3 is redemption, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus came to save us from death, to save us for life, an abundant life now and life that lasts forever, okay? But then there's chapter 4. Where is history headed? History is headed to consummation, where Jesus is coming back. Oh, did you know that one day soon Jesus is coming back? And when Jesus comes back, our bodies are going to be raised from the dead and we're going to be whole. Body and spirit made perfect forever. And do you know where that's going to be? It's not going to be off in the cloud somewhere. It's going to be on earth. So listen to this. Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Wow. Heaven is where God is, and heaven will come to earth. And once again, there will be paradise on earth. And once again, God will walk with us on earth. And what will it be like on the new earth? <clears throat> and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. Hallelujah. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I hate death. And I so look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and there's no more death. I've been at this for about 40 years. Do you know how many hospital rooms I've gone in with people who are dying? How many times I've been to the hospice? Do you have any idea how many funerals I've done? Old people, young people, infants, students, 
husbands, wives, parent, children, how many tears I hate death. And oh, I look forward to that day, don't you? When Jesus comes back and our bodies are raised up and there's no more death. And we're going to be whole in body and spirit. And we're going to spend eternity on earth with God in paradise. <laughs> that is a biblical view of death and dying. So let me ask you a question. Are you prepared to die? Are you? <clears throat> if you're not, let me plead with you, prepare to die. Because prepared people, they live well. They live well and they die well. And you say, well, how can anyone be prepared to die uh, let me help you there. It's, it's through believing in Jesus, through believing in the gospel. In Romans 6, verse 23, um, see the goal part? Would you read that with me? For the wages of sin is death. I think you guys were asleep. Let's do it again. For the wages of sin is death. See the word sin? See the word sin? It means to miss the mark. Have you noticed in, in the different protests that people today are very aware of what of the sins of others? And, and, and those are true, but how many of us are aware of our sin? See the word sin? We sin against God in thought and word and deed and leaving undone what we ought to have done. So see the word sin? Now back up. You see the word wages. You know what a wage is? What's a wage? It's what you earn, right? So because of our sin, what have we earned with God? See, the wages of sin is it's what? It's death. Because we've sinned against God, what we deserve for what we have done is not just physical death, it's eternal death, which is the separation of our body and spirit from God and from all good things. So you say, well, we're in trouble. What do we do? You see, once we understand the bad news, the good news is really good. And, and, and that's where that but, this is, this is a good but, it's a great but, but uh, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now read the goal part with me, Okay. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now look at that. Look at that. Look at the free gift. You can get the wages, what you earn if you want, or you can get a free. Don't you love free gifts? Don't you? And listen, the free gift of God is what? It's, it's what? Eternal life. Isn't that what we long for? Don't we want to live forever? Don't we? <clears throat> well, where do we get it? Notice <clears throat> this free gift of eternal life. Where is it? It's it's where it's in. It's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's in a person. Do you know who Jesus is? See how it says Jesus is our Lord? The Lord means he's God who became a man. See, Jesus, it means Savior. Jesus is Lord. He's God who became a man to seek and save sinners. He's our Savior, living a perfect life. He went to the cross. He took our sin. He took the wages. He took death. He died in our place, paying in full the penalty for our sins, right? And, and then he rose on the third day, and he offers us a free gift. He offers us eternal life. And, and how do we receive this gift? In John 6, verse 47. See, when, when Jesus says, truly, truly, he says, maybe you've been sleeping. But don't miss this. This is really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Will you read that with me? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. So who does Jesus say has eternal life? Who? He who believes. So do you believe? Do you? Then, do you? then that means what? That you have eternal life. That you're prepared to die. And I want you to know if you're prepared to die, that enables you to live well and to die well, okay? 
But some of you say, well, gee, I'm not sure I, I believe. In what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And we love to say believing in Jesus is as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. Listen, believing in Jesus begins when we admit. Not just other people are flawed. I'm flawed. Have you ever done that? Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've done, said, and thought things I shouldn't. I've left undone what I ought to. If you've never done that, won't you admit? And then we believe. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose, right? And then we commit to Jesus. Instead of trusting in our own good works to commit to Jesus as Savior, I'm going to trust in you. Jesus, forgive me and give me eternal life, won't you? And to trust him as Lord is to say, I surrender today from this day forward. As you give me strength, I'll follow you. Won't you? Won't you prepare to die? And you can do that right where you are. Just admit and believe and commit. Uh, I'll give you a chance as we close in prayer to prepare for eternity. Listen, admit, believe, and commit. And if you've done that, if you've done that, I want you to hear what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And if we have eternal life, that should change the way we live, shouldn't it? It should change the way we die. That's why prepared people live well and die well. Now, I know. I know some of you say, you know, Smiley, you share that every week. You share that. I know that. It's not that I forget every week. I want to share with you why I share the gospel every week. I share the gospel every week, the bad news and the good news and our part to believe in Christ for three reasons. The first reason is there's always someone new. There's always someone new whose eternity is hanging in the balance, and they need to hear the bad news and the good news and our part to receive. There's always someone new. There's someone online. There's someone in person, right? The second reason I share the gospel every week is because we need to hear the gospel every week. We need to be reminded that we've been saved from sin and death. We've been saved for an abundant life now and life that lasts forever. We need to remember so that we can live well and die well. But listen, there's a third reason. The third reason I share the gospel every week is because I want to equip you to share the gospel. I want you leaving here saying, man, I've heard that a thousand times. I could say that in my sleep. And I want you to know, you can. You can, and that's what I'm praying that you would. Matter of fact, if you ever wonder what pastors pray for, let me show you in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, um, look at this verse, it's so good. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Know what I'm praying for? Notice how they gathered together. Listen, we've gathered together, right, in person and online. There's a reason we gather together. And as we've gathered together, know what I've prayed? I prayed that the Holy Spirit would fall fresh on us. I pray the Holy Spirit would shake us. Because sometimes we get complacent, don't we? And we forget that eternities hang in the balance, that we're all going to die, and then comes judgment, right? And so I pray that we're shaken. And notice what they did. They what? They went out and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Oh, I'm praying that as we come and hear the gospel for the 3,000th time, and we go out this week and and people are talking about the the virus and dying, that we share with them what we've heard, that prepared people live well and die well. And they say, what do you mean prepared? And we share with them how a person can be prepared to die 
won't you? So listen, what we've learned so far is that prepared people live well and die well, okay? And now I want to turn a corner and, and I want to share with you what I want you to do as an action step this week is to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus. You say, well, that was last week. Yeah, it's this week and next week too, okay? But listen, when we believe in Jesus, the next step he says to us is to follow me. And so what I want us to do is to follow Jesus in life and in death. I want us to follow Jesus in life and in death because Jesus lived well and he died well, didn't he? Listen, Jesus lived well, didn't he? He lived the beautiful life, didn't he? The Holy Spirit's always saying, look at the life. Isn't that the way you want to live? You see, Jesus is our model for life and ministry. If we want to know how to live the beautiful life, we follow Jesus, right? If we want to know what our model is for ministry, how to win people to Christ or make disciples, we follow Jesus, right? But how many of us think about following Jesus in death because Jesus died well? So what I want us to do for a little bit now is I want us to look at Jesus on the cross and I want us to look how he died so that we can learn how we should die. And the first thing I want you to notice about Jesus on the cross is Jesus took care of his family. On the cross, Jesus took care of his family. He put his house in order, didn't he? He's on the cross bearing our sins, but he looks out and he sees his mother, right? He sees Mary and says, Mary, don't worry, John's going to take care of you. Now, John, take care of mom. What question does that make you ask? Where were Jesus' brothers and sisters, right? Why is he arranging John to take care of him? But what I want you to notice is he arranged for his family. So, you have little children, do you have a will? Do you? When, when, when Karen and I had our first child, one of the first things we did is we went and we had a will so that we said, if something happens to the two of us, here is who we would like to raise our children. So important we do that, that we take care of our family, right, in our death, that we have a will about who we want to raise our children. Listen, as, as we get older, we have a will so that we can say, here's how we'd like to... Uh, divide the inheritance between our children. If you don't state it, if you don't take care of them, someone else will. You want to do it. While you're doing that, why not include the church in your will too? I know with Karen and I, we have six kids, and the way our will is set up is it's divided between the six kids and, and the church. Listen, because the church is part of my family too, isn't it? So let me encourage you. Let's learn from Jesus on the cross. One of the things that he did was he took care of his family, didn't he? He took care of his family, and, and, and we can follow that too and die well. Now, the second thing that Jesus did on the cross that struck me is he didn't die until he died. What? He didn't die until he died. You see, a lot of people, they, they retire, they move to Florida, and they play golf until they die. Now, nothing wrong with moving to Florida. We're glad you're here. Nothing wrong with playing golf, but listen, Jesus didn't play golf until he died. When Jesus is on the cross, he's still working, isn't he? He's still winning people to Christ, isn't he? Doesn't he turn to the one thief and he says what? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Until Jesus' last breath, he was still thinking of others and carrying out his mission. Is that true of us, is it? Now, I know I've told you the story often, but it's such a good story. On April the 15th, 1912, when the Titanic struck the iceberg, uh, you know what the men said? It's not like the movie Titanic. You know what the men said? Women, children, and unsaved first in the lifeboats. I'm sure there were a few men who were turkeys 
but most of them said women, children, and unsafe earths. You do know what the Titanic has been called, don't you? It's called the ship of widows. It's called the ship of widows because so many men went down. I don't think they made that decision on the spot. I think they were prepared to die well. They knew as Christians that if they died, they were going to heaven. And if the unsaved people died, they were going to hell. So they laid down their lives for others. Are we prepared to do that? Have we thought through that? John Harper, a pastor on the ship, um, he took his only daughter, Nana, he kissed her, and he handed her to one of the ship's officers in a life raft, knowing he would never see her again. And then into the waters he went. You know what he spent his last few minutes doing? He wasn't trying to beat up others and take their piece of wood. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was following Jesus in his death. And know what he was doing? He was winning people to faith in Christ in the water. What he's doing with his last breath is he's going up to others in the water and saying, are you saved? And if they said no, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There was one man, there was one man, he went up to him and he said, are you saved? And he said, no. And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then they were pushed apart by the water. They were pushed apart by the water. And then the water brought them together. And a second time he asked him, are you saved? And he said, no. And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And you say, well, Smiley, how do I know that? Because that man was saved twice that night. He was saved twice. He was plucked out of the icy waters by a lifeboat. And he was saved from hell by the words of John Harper. Listen, don't die before you die. While we have breath, let's do everything we can to share Christ with others and win others to Christ. And again, you might say, why? Listen to what it says in Jude. In Jude, verse 22. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others snatching them out of the fire. If we saw our neighbors, if we saw those at work in a burning building, wouldn't we forget about ourselves, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we do everything we could to snatch them out? Aren't you glad when Jesus saw you in the fire, he snatched you out? Well, well, well is it safe to snatch people? No, it's not safe, but it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it. So listen, as we see Jesus on the cross and we learn how to die well from Jesus, listen, take care of our families. Don't die before you die. The third thing that struck me about Jesus is he went to paradise. When Jesus died, he went to paradise. Remember what he said? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus knew where he was going, and knowing where he was going helped him endure the cross. Do you realize a lot of us are go going to die quickly? Um, we're going to die of a heart attack. Uh, we're going to die of a car wreck. It's going to be quick. But others of us, we're going to suffer. Are, are you prepared for that? Have you thought about it? Jesus died a very horrific, slow death, didn't he? And what does the Bible say about Jesus? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Some of us enduring suffering or, or cancer, we're enduring a lot, a lot of pain. Jesus understands he endured the cross, betrayed, deserted, denied, spit on naked, on a garbage dump, bearing our sins. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. 
despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus looked beyond the cross and he saw the joy of being with his Father. He saw the joy of you and, us, of you and me being with him forever. And that's what gave him strength to endure the cross. Are you suffering? Listen, look beyond that. One day you'll join Jesus in paradise, okay? Oh, Jesus went to paradise. I, I want you to understand he went to paradise. And so when Jesus had completed his work on earth, remember what he said on the cross? He said what? It is finished, right? And what that meant, once he said it's finished, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know why? Because Jesus' goal wasn't to live a long life. Did you know that? His goal was not to live a long life. His goal was to live a life that mattered. His goal was to accomplish the work the Father had given him. And when he was through, he said, listen, I'm coming home. Is our life, is our, is our goal a long life or a life that matters? Um, do you know how many Christians have asked me as I visited them in the hospital or hospital, is it okay to go home? Is it okay to go home? I said, listen, Jesus did. When Jesus was done his work, he said, I'm ready to go home. So, so let me help you. Let me help you think through that day when it will come, okay? In Philippians chapter 1, this is really, really interesting. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the apostle Paul writes, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, prepared people live well and die well. Once you're a Christian, you can't lose. Because if you live, it's about Jesus. And if you die, you go to be with him. Now notice what he says, but I am, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. I hear so many Christians say, yeah, yeah, I want to go to heaven, just not today. But I want to tell you something about Paul. Paul has seen heaven. And you know what Paul said? I want to go today because it's better. It's not just much better. It's very much better. I want to go and be with him, yet what? To remain on is more necessary for what? For your sake. Paul says if I'm here, it's because Jesus has a purpose for my life to win people to Christ, to make disciples. And listen, when that's done, I get to go and be with him, and that's very much better. So I listened to a podcast once, and I want to teach you. It's been so helpful in my life. It was a Christian doctor, and he took being a Christian doctor and combined it with Philippians 1, and he said with end-of-life decisions, he said, if, he said in his will, it was written in his will, if there is any procedure that could be done, that there was a reasonable chance he would recover enough to serve other people. He wanted the procedure done. But if there was not a reasonable chance that he would recover enough to serve the other people, he said, I want to go and be with Jesus because I'm going to paradise. Ah, that's helped me think. Listen, when my dad was in the hospital facing death, listen, he was not going to recover enough to serve other people. So we, he said, I'm ready to go. Listen, dad, go. You're going to paradise. The same is true with my mom. Man, this crazy virus, I haven't seen my mom for five, almost six months. Is that crazy? But about two and a half years ago, about two and a half years ago, my mom got pneumonia, and the medical staff said, the medical staff said, listen, if we give her this medicine, she has a 30% chance of recovering. 
Now, my mom lies in bed. Her mind is mostly gone. When she dies, where's she going? Where? She's going to paradise. And so we said, don't give her the medicine. Let's just feed her and take care of her. And you know what happened? She got better anyway, right? Listen, we're all going to face decisions for ourselves and others, and, and I think that's so helpful. Listen, if there's something that can be done that would help me to, to recover enough to serve others, let's do it, but otherwise, let's go to paradise. So I want you to know, every morning when I get up, every morning when I get up, I think about my death. As I spend time with Jesus every morning, what I do every day is I pray, Philippians 1, 21, I say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Today might be the day a car crosses into my lane. Today might be the day that the, the doctor tells me that, that I'm terminal, okay? That could happen, and it will happen one day. But what happens is, that helps me to live well. When I think about my death, I think of how short my life is, and I want it to count because prepared people live well and die well. And here's why that's so important. It was Thursday, and I went to Presbytery in Jacksonville, and after after Presbytery on Thursday, I'm driving down 95. I come to where 95 hits 16. I get off of 95 on 16. There are two lanes turning east on 16. I'm first in line on the right. There's a car first in me on the left who's blocking my view. The light turns green. I've learned not to be the first one out. But after a second or two, I start out. Then I notice he stops, and I slam on my brakes in a semi that had never put the brakes on, went barreling through the intersection. I was one-tenth of a second from being T-boned by a semi. You ever have those near-death experiences and you're, you're just kind of really hyper and, you know what I did? I prayed again, right? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am so thankful I know you, Jesus. Because if that semi had hit me, Listen, I would be with you in paradise. But it didn't hit me. You left me here. And you've left me here, what? Because you have fruitful labor for me to do. Dear people, life is way too dangerous to live without Jesus. It's any one of us could die in a moment today. That's why it's so important that we believe in Jesus. Because when we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. And when we're prepared to die, then we can live well and die well. That's what I'm praying for you. That you'd be prepared. And that you'd live well because you know Jesus. And you'd die well because you know Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so glad that you came to seek and save the lost, that you died and rose so that we could live forever with you. And Lord, the one thing that most of us never want to think about is that we're going to die, but we all are. And so, Jesus, I pray for those here who've never prepared to die, that, that they would. If that's you, won't you prepare now? Won't you believe? Jesus said if we believe we could live forever, won't you admit to him? Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose? And won't you commit to him? Jesus, come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life and 
Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, won't you believe? And if you have, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Lord, I pray for those of us who believe in you that we would live well and follow you and that we would die well following you, that we would take care of our families and and we wouldn't die before we die. And when that moment comes that we could be just like you, Jesus, know we're going to paradise and say, into your hands I commit my spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.